by episode, storyline by storyline, character by character, as we break down the making of your favorite zip code, with your host, <laughs> Charles Rose. Did I say that? Harry Mullen. this thing about the, the, the real person, and we're going, what? We're getting rid of this guy. Pete Ferrero. I'm feeling wonderful. <laughs> Kathleen looks crush, TV crush worthy. Like so many special guests. And all your questions, live on the Beverly Hills 90210 Show. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, here we are on another episode of the Beverly Hills 90210 Show. Chuck, you got to be excited for this. These are your people. This is this, this when you did your show. This is some of the people. Well, that it was here. funny. You know, when I left 90210, and uh, and once in a while, uh, my agent or uh, an ornery executive would would tell other people that I was difficult. I'd say, "Wait a second! Talk to my crew! Talk to the crew! Talk to the, talk to the directors who I pretty much gave free reign to do whatever they wanted, as long as they got a little coverage, so spelling wouldn't yell at me." Uh, you know, in the beginning, I got no coverage. Right. <laughs> no coverage. <laughs> Chuck, I knew on my very first day that was true. I literally, the day before I, I, I'd been in Kauai and I came back, I got off the plane. I had my, you know, my shorts and my flip flops and, you know, still had sand in my hair. And I showed up at the office the very first day. Jill was there. We went on a, we went on a meeting in a van over to your office and Jim Weatherill told me that, you know, you weren't going to like it because I was wearing shorts and I didn't have pants on and, and there was a barber chair in your office and I needed to stay the hell away from it because you didn't want anybody to touch it. And when we got there, you saw my shirt and said, poi poo, poi, uh, pizza man and poi poo. I was just there. I was like, I was there yesterday. And you were like, sit in my chair. And I looked over at Jim Weatherall. He was just so, oh, oh, he was so mad. Oh God. Okay. Well that by the way, that is Drew Kinney, uh, who's talking right now, in case you're just listening to this. And also with us is Jill Henkel. And um, you guys did so much for 90210 and art and with the in you know, you, uh, Jill did all the set decoration as well. So I know the fans have requested us to talk about this kind of stuff. They're really into it, they love to hear about how things came to be. Um, Chuck, is it okay if I pop with Drew and finish more of that first day? I mean, what was what was that experience like for you coming into this world of 90210? And then I want to get Jill's take on on that as well. Uh, me, I mean, you know, literally, I, I I was fresh in the business. I mean, I had been in the business for a year and just sort of worked my connections and met Tom Victor and <laughs> moved across the country to work with him. And, you know, so I was, I'd only been in LA for two weeks. I came to work on a movie with him. The plug got pulled. I went to Hawaii for a week, got 90210, came back, started that. So I just, you know, one step in front of the other, it was just like, it was a dream world. You know, you I watched move cross people. country. You move cross country to be in a movie that the plug got pulled. Yeah. To work on it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh it, was, it, was, uh, it was called <laughs> Lloyd of London with Keenan Ivory Wayans. And there was a scene where, he and Damon were going to like with a machine gun, mow down a jewelry store. It was going to cost like 75 grand. And uh, Tom Pollock wanted him to pull it. 
And Keenan said, you can't make my movie with that. And he said, well, you can't make your movie and took it away. Wow. <laughs> you know, I did Scary Movie too with them. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, <laughs> Tim Curry sitting outside, completely dressed, ready to go on stage. And they come over and go, we're not shooting that today. They, the Wayans didn't come in. Go home. Wow. And it was, it I'm was, sure Tim Curry was not happy. He was so cool. He just stayed really calm. In fact, he had us go to his house and pick out paintings to put on his in his room. His house was so gorgeous. Unbelievable. His paintings were so beautiful. He was such a gentleman always. He was amazing. Mm. Really cool. I did a pilot once with Tom Pollock. Uh, I, it was it was later in his in his career, but you know, a, a nice man. So how, did you, how did you get into this into this nine hundred two one zero world? I got in on the eighth episode. They were only picked up for twelve. I had never decorated a television show. I had been working as a lead for four years, and um, the designer was hired because the other designer was leaving and she only knew me. She had used me on a commercial. She was from New York. She didn't know any other decorators in town. The decorator was leaving. So she called me in and when I interviewed with Paul Wagner, I told him I'd do the best I could and I'd try the hardest. And he was basically like, well, there's probably only four more episodes, so okay. And then the designer got sick and she had to leave and they brought Tom on. And Tom did the back nine with me. And we left not even being sure it would get another season. And it made my career. It was the best, most fun show. And it made my career. I stayed on it all 10 seasons. Drew, yeah. were you there from the first? Were you there before Jill? Uh, no, no. I, I was not there the first season. But you know, it's funny. I, you know, I moved to L.A. to work on a movie with Tom Victor. And the plug got pulled and like, you know, we were sitting in our office working on stuff and they said, hey, everybody, stop what you're doing and come on in here and told us that the plug got pulled and go ahead and pack up everything that we had. And so I picked up the phone and I called like the two people that I knew from a movie that Tom and I had both worked on in South Carolina. Um, Alex, you remember, Jill, you remember Alex Walker, construction buyer? I called him. He mm -hmm. called Lars, a construction coordinator who called Michael Cudlitz who called Paul Wagner and said, hey, Tom Victor's available. And so like 10 minutes later, Tom comes into my desk and goes, hey, it's weird. I just got this call from 90210. Somehow they know that I'm available and I got this job again. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'm unemployed. If you need somebody to come work with you, I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> well, so Tom is- And they were great. They were wonderful to work with. Tom is the key piece here to the puzzle. You know, we've talked to Tom before, Chuck, on, on the podcast and he's just- mm -hmm very lovely um chuck you know it's funny jill brought up that thing about the the first 12 and you've talked about that here on this show a bunch of times before but i don't know if fans really get how serious that was that you didn't know that things were if you i mean we see the show now right oh my god of course it was on 10 seasons but in that first year that must have been very difficult for you for, for well after we you know you 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 have 12 episodes but when you want to go to episode 13 uh, you need a script. So they, at about episode 10 or 11, we're, we're, we're starting to see, well, you know, what are we going to do? The, 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 you know, the quality is pretty good and we may need some more and, and whatever else. So they would dole out two stories, not two scripts, two stories, and then a script. 
And then of it, I mean, it was like, you know, it's like every time being on a ladder. Um, and, and so, you know, the first 12 were, were, you know, really where the show was supposed to order was supposed to end, but you had to keep the pipeline going. So, but they would do it in dribs and drafts. Almost the entire first season was dribs and drafts. Uh, at a certain point, I think maybe like episode 17, they ordered the full season because by that point, the 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 um, the, the uh, war was over. The Gulf War was over, and the um, and the kids of New York and Los Angeles had found us. So, mm. uh, but I think I told you guys that it was at the Beach Club. We were leaving one day, and there was a truck, and Jason and Luke and Ian were standing like talking, and all of a sudden. There must have been 200 12-year-old girls come running at them screaming. And it felt like my day, the Beatles. And that was the first time I became aware of the fact that, oh, my God, this thing is completely, you know, people love it. That was is- that the same for you, um, Drew? Did you have that experience with the with the actor as well? Oh, but you weren't there, right? So. He was there for the second second season. Well, he was there by the beach club yeah. for sure. I was, I was there with the with the beach club. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was crazy. It it, mm-hmm. it really was insane. I mean, anytime we, anytime we went anywhere, like you know, for instance, like when the when the kids started directing, kids. I say kids. They're the same okay. age as me. Okay. You know, right. The other the other adults in the room. Um, when they started directing and like started being interested in that kind of stuff, and they decided to come on scouts and things with us. That's where like you know, we could notice it almost immediately because we couldn't go to a lot of places. Right. We had to, you know, it's like, it was almost like, well, where do you want to go? Cause you know where you can hide like J- Jason, where do you want to hide? Mm. Well, one of the things too, that, that we had to do, you know, you, you, you have to pull a permit, you know, for the, um, and, and, and so you can find out where somebody's filming. If you really want to, you can go back. Oh, right. and records. So uh, oftentimes now the, you know, a, a show that would, would uh, they give false names. They do a lot of things to do it. Well, we, we did that with the, um, with the placards. You know, if you drive around Los Angeles and you're a crew person and you're coming, you know, you follow the directions and then it's uh, here, you know, tell you the show, the, you know, the Rosen grandpa show right here, you know, and you, and with arrows. So they would 90210 was given, you know, a bunch of false names, uh, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, after the first season, after the, after the, the, you know, the Beatlemania started, you know, as it were. Well, let me, well, let me start talking about some of the, the, the various sets. Um, you know, I think one of them, obviously one of the most iconic things, uh, that is 90210, of course, is this place, the Peach Pit, um, which is literally right around from me here, <laughs> but, um, it's now a Shabu Shabu. Place, right? <laughs> <laughs> the exterior of the peach pit um what was that i mean when you got there joe there was multiple peach pits at one point where there was a smaller peach pit and then eventually it becomes the peach pit that we all that that sticks around for a while um right it started at a really small peach pit and then as brandon ends up working there and we just enlarged it and then we put all the records on the wall to make it just seem a little different than just a typical diner and then it expanded to the Peach Pit After Dark, which was based on computer symbols. I mean, that was the beginning. I mean, we started that show, we were on pagers. I mean, the cell phones and computers <laughs> happened while we were on that show. 
Um, and so, yes, yeah. Yes. But so you get an, you know, you, you go to the show already and the peach pit is there. And what is that for, for, for Drew? What was that like coming into that? that? Does that set become important to you at all? I mean, I know it's very early on, but I've had actors tell me the moment that they walked to the set of the peach pit, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're in shock because they're on 90210 and whatnot for you. You made that you, you created that, that place. Um, so I don't know if it's all that special. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, I think I mentioned this on an, uh, another time when I was on here that like, um, no, it, it, it is really interesting to me be, and, and for one very specific reason when, you know, the, the mania of everything and who was on Saturday, it was Jason who was on Saturday night live, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah that's the, the air yes, fight that thing. One. And they, and they did the, the spoof of the peach pit. And they did the records and the little triangles on the wall. And I thought, oh, that's really great. And then they did the reverse where it was the camera port that has the newspaper thing, like with the, the wooden handles that the newspaper was in. And they just took some sheets of newspaper and stapled them on the wall at an angle. And I love that because that was spoofing us. So every time I see it, that's what I think about is it like, you know, Will be a trivial pursuit question answer at some point. Yeah, well, that was a that was a great fun. You know, Karen and I actually went back with Jason to just go Saturday Night Live. That was hey, we can be there. We're going, and and it was we treated really well, and uh, it, it coincided with my fortieth birthday. So it was a really so much fun. But that sketch that that, that Drew is talking about was written by Al Franken. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and it was so it was so there was a such a funny part of it where every time that anybody came into with Brandon or walked on the they gave them the keys you know like I can't drive I'm I'm drunk like this give me your keys you couldn't do any you know it was just you know don't trust the teenagers take their keys and it was over and over. it was very funny and afterwards I went up at the after party I went up to Al Franken. And I and I started and I introduced myself as the executive. I think I've told you this story, Pete. I don't know if I did it on air. I don't, I, I don't think on the podcast. Oh, yeah. so yeah. So I, I I introduced myself, and he's as the executive producer of Beverly Hills 90210. And and Franken, you know, just just becomes what's the word? I obnoxious. And he <laughs> he he says to me, you know, we asked for some tapes and this. I had never seen the show, and we asked for tapes and we and this that. Guy, I had to talk with. I'm going, oh, Brett. Yeah, you know the big. He looked like Lurch, you know, who was a former bodyguard of Mr. Spelling. Who, who he had. You had to deal with him to get to Spelling on these technical kind of things, and uh, and and I said, and I tried to just get off out of the conversation. I said. You know, well, the spelling company works in mysterious ways. It was just, <laughs> he doesn't let me get out of the conversation. He says the same thing again. He starts attacking us. I try to smooth it over and say, you know, you know, but we're here now. Everything's good. He does it the third time. And I finally looked at him. And it's just the way that show business people are a lot of times. I finally looked at him and they said, look, we let him out of filming for four days to be here. You know, you should have been, you know, so so we're not the all the bad guys. Go, oh, no, no, of course not. In this, you know, <laughs> people in the entertainment business cannot handle confrontation. 
No, that's true. Yeah. And Barry Diller made a billion dollars off that knowledge because he just, I'm Barry Diller. And, okay, whatever you want to do, Barry. You know, people did. And I too, you know, was just pretty straight and forthright. And and people always ask, well, how did you get those stories through? And it's just because if you're a pit bull and you just are, are relentless and won't yield, uh, the show business people go, oh, okay. And Mr. Spelling was, you know, was, was, uh, we've talked about that really hated confrontation. Um, he, he just didn't, he never did it and waited and then, and then used his power to, to affect whatever changes he wanted. But that, that in the room kind of thing. Um, what about like, for you guys? I in my life story. Okay. For Drew and, and Jill, did you have direct things from Aaron or, or Mr. Spelling and, um, and, or <laughs> Duke Vincent or some of these people that were surrounding, uh, yeah. When we redid the house after the parents moved to Hong Kong, we were told that the, and Jason and I and, and Luke were going to move into the house. We were told we had to make it look more youthful. And <clears throat> we met with Jason and he was really excited. And he told us all these things we should, you know, we, we should think about doing and doing. And Tom came up with this really great wallpaper pattern and we had this really fun furniture and we went in to meet with Aaron in his office. Did you, were you there, Drew, for that meeting? No, I was not. I was so crazy because there's, there's all these guys in little tuxes going around like with the silver ashtray things sweeping up crumbs. And if you open a piece of candy and put the wrapper down, they put that, take that away. Oh. We walk in and Jason's sitting at Aaron's desk with his feet up. He's like king of the world. And he's just like <laughs> laughing and joking around. And then Aaron comes in and he's just soft-spoken and he's really sweet with Jason. And Tom and I start telling him stuff and he kind of looks around and he just is like, I don't care what you do. Just don't make with my hair. Don't mess with my hair and my wardrobe. <laughs> like he didn't care about the background yeah. at all. He cared about what the women were wearing and their makeup and their hair. That's right. And I know that at some point we were also told don't leave the lights on during the day because Mr. Spelling thinks people will be confused and they'll think it's nighttime. So we were never allowed to leave lights on during the day. I mean, just those are the strange kind of things. But yeah. rarely, he, I mean, he didn't really come to the show. He was he was not around. We would just hear about him. And he was, like I said, he was very soft-spoken and he was very nice. I mean, he just had his own rules and, you know, we didn't have much to do with you know why he didn't come around the show all that much is because of the success of 90210 and Melrose. All of a sudden, he had five more shows to do. And, and I mean, he sold everything. Everybody wanted to be in with Aaron Spelling. And he had a, started his own network in this. And it, it just wore him out. And I often yeah. think, And I often think that really that first season, you know, it, 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 as, as crazy as it was and tentative as everything was, was a great time for me to work with Aaron Spelling. He was accessible. He was open. He to change. He was, it was, it was such a contrast from where he was by the end because he was so successful in by season five, my last season that he was beleaguered. And I can't even imagine because when we were doing 32 hours and yeah. so was Melrose and all these other shows and, you know, so, uh, you know, I be careful, always be success. Be careful what you wish for. Tom and I did Melrose Place. Tom designed all the sets, and I decorated all the sets for Melrose Place. And we worked with E. Duke Vincent, Duke, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. 
Aaron really had very little to do with it. I never met with him. But that was also one of those things where we met with the creators and everybody. They were very insistent that these were working kids. They didn't have a lot of money. This, that should look like that. We made very realistic kind of, you know, young people sets. And they walked in and were like, oh, no, these are too dull. There's not a lot, you know bring it up, bring it up. And we had to recover all the furniture and we had to make all the art more poppy and make everything just pop out more. And that was Duke. That was not Aaron. Mm-hmm. But Duke was the one that said, pop it out more, right? Yeah. They were basically, yeah. I learned from that. Television does not want things to be real. Even if they say they do. Oh yeah, Drew. Drew, what about you with uh, direction from Aaron or or the people around him? Do you have stories like Jill Jill does there? I'll tell you. I can remember we got one note from Aaron, and it was a it was a canyon location where we shot at some restaurant and some house, and it was that the doorknob was too shiny. That was the only note. I mean, that was it. Literally, <laughs> we, we used to say all the time, "Well, have you ever met him?" And I'd go, "Well." Yeah, but I, it was an accident. I stepped on his foot and spilled a drink on him at a party. You know? <laughs> Does that really happen? Is that true? No. Oh, God, no. Okay. <laughs> but, it, but it always got a great reaction, like, oh, my God, did you really? And like, oh, yeah. Right, whatever. Uh, um, and, you know, here's another picture or set of the early days of the Walsh house. Um, I don't know, Jill, talk to me That's about before that. I got there. Because yeah, that there, was, there were white houses. There were white yeah, that was Michelle Minch, right? That was Michelle that Minch. Was Michelle Minch and was Susan Eschelbach. And That's Susan right. was a decorator. And Susan had yeah. white couches, or I don't know who decided. And they had put artwork, I think, on top of the bookcases. or with, That might have been the one I worked with. I'm not sure. But I know I came in there like, get rid of the white couches. So we had to recover the couches as a pattern. So when you get a thing, you know, get rid of the white couches and we're going to do, do new white couches, what is your process like? What do you, what do you start, where do you start looking for, for this Walsh house? I mean, it's an iconic set by this point. Well, you know, I, and I've got a question. Why? Just curious. Cause it's certainly not in my, my area. Why do we get rid of the white couches? What was wrong get, with them? They got dirty uh, too easy. Uh, nowadays, nowadays, because white is really popular everywhere in the world, white couches are acceptable. But back in the day, nobody liked white and nobody liked red. And it had something to do with filming. And I mean, I think it would have made it easier for the wardrobe person because I remember being told that Aaron said none of the actors could be wearing the same color shirt and none of the shirts could be the same color as the wall. And we had eight actors. So she had a graph and a thing, Molly, to chart out who was wearing what. And Tom loved color. So, I mean, I think she probably lost her mind trying to find all the different colors and not blend into the wall. When I did, um, I did a show with Cam Burney afterwards and um, he painted all the walls beige because of that reason. He was just like, I I can't do that to the wardrobe person, but it was really boring for the sets. Tom Um, angsted over the color for Kelly's bedroom when they, well, like they did the, we did a renovation and they repainted everything and it went to a, it was almost kind of like a medium olive and he was trying to find the right tone that didn't make her look pale. I remember him going through the book, just sitting there for hours and hours, trying different ones. And then he'd get samples and then he'd go talk to her and he'd kind of talk to her and hold the card out, you know, trying not to be obvious about looking at the color. You mean Tom would hold the color next to Jenny Garth? He'd, he'd have it in his hand and just have a conversation. He's just kind of looking at her and looking at it in the light. 
And it wasn't like an obvious, like, hey, put your head in front of this. I'm trying to match this color. He was just looking at it in a natural setting because this was before like, we didn't have camera phones or anything. Of course, right. we, you know, we put tape on walls for yeah. scenes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't understand, you know, with so many showrunners and so many people involved, I guess because the orders are smaller now, they can do this. But, you know, when Aaron told me, well, I think, no, Aaron didn't even have to tell me. I figured out, like, very early on, everything with the wardrobe will be you, Miss, you know, Aaron, because he wanted to see everything. And I just wanted to hope we could have a script the next day, you know. So <laughs> I was very happy that that would, these kind of things were his area. And, and because I... You know, when we had no money, I think I've said this in, in years one and two. So I just would have I would have just put them in T-shirts and blue jeans. I mean, I we don't have any money. Well, then let's let's take it out of the wardrobe. I would never have taken it out of art. I'd have never taken it out of set deck. But wardrobe, L.A. kids in the era of grunge in the 90s, who cared what they wore? They were rebelling against the 80s with the whole you know, big shoulder and this, although it's very funny. We, we've talked to, this is with Drew and Jill more than the, than the fifth. We've talked to um, a lot to Diane Kennedy and mm -hmm. Diane Kennedy would, you know, some of her just were gorgeous things. And we, and she revealed just, yes, they were all 1980s style that you do mm -hmm. the last decade in this decade. And, and it's, it's fashion forward, not retro. You know, right. well, again, another Melrose Play story. The costume designer there was baby doll dresses then for girls. It was these oh, big, yeah. flowing, shapeless dresses, and she chose all those. And Aaron absolutely hated them. He wanted the girls in his usual tight clothing, and she quit rather than put them in clothing she felt wasn't appropriate. Well, I also think uh, I'm surprised to hear this because one, th uh, you know, especially by Melrose, because if. Because by the time the kids got to, you know, got went to college, you know, when you look at some of those sorority things, it was all those baby doll dresses. I mean, Jenny wore a lot of them, and uh, uh, you know, didn't did, right, Pete? Is that what I'm, I'm right yeah, about? Right, yeah, you were about that. Yeah, Corey too, but but Jenny really a lot looked really good in them. So I don't quite understand that. Okay. At some point, though, you guys would use the house in Altadena for the Walsh house, and you would shoot there. But then at some point, you guys built that on, uh, built the set. Even the exterior of the Walsh house, the front door, becomes a set. Were you there for that process, Drew, or was that before your time? No, the, the exterior, the, the front porch and a little bit of front yard, that was part of the original build. That's mm -hmm. the original build, Pete. Yeah. You have to do that. Yeah. yeah. And then we and built a little bit of the back where the awning right. is off the back of the set. But that matched when we added an awning at location. Because we needed something to be able to have cover right. for both the stage and for location. <clears throat> and how do you, I mean, like, that's an interesting thing because it's like, you know, you had told a story, Drew, when you guys would shoot at the um, at the house in Altadena that sometimes you would leave things, uh, tell the guy at the, the, at the house, leave this this way. And then it would not be, it would not be that way when, when you came back, right? Oh, well, yeah, like the, like for instance, the awning was was the was the big one because the there was a frame that was out there and the awning snapped on, so that if we needed to do a shot underneath the awning, we could peel back a corner and get a light or a, a camera or a sound boom in the right angle. And um, when we would we'd go scout it and we'd come back and half of it would be unsnapped and hanging down, and so like part of it would have water pooled in it and that was filthy, so we'd have to take it down and have it cleaned again. 
I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I had to take that awning down and have it cleaned. But that's a location that you guys used a lot through the series because it's a, you know, yeah. a, you know, I mean, sometimes you didn't have to, but you do go there a lot. What was your experience like working at the, at the actual location? It was great. I mean, yeah. it was, the house was a really, the man was nice. The house, we used, you know, we didn't go inside. We only right. saw outside. Only exterior, so yeah. there was, it was usually really nice. On 90210, we rarely went out more than two days a week. So it, it was well planful for, and, you know, when we got there, we kind of all knew what we had to do, which is, like I said, shows are really different now. I mean, on a five-day show now, you can possibly go out four of the five days. I mean, it's just really different. It's so strange. So because on a show now, and if you want to save some money, you you build some stuff on a stage. You don't go out. I mean, that's why we had a 5-2, at least in the beginning. I think it, eventually we got to be 4-in and 3-out. Or if we did 4-and-3, they didn't care. Uh, you, you know, know it my- depends on the show. Entourage was a show that went out. So their trucks were right. always, always set to be out. So when they stayed on stage... That was more costly for them. Well, you mean so with Entourage, so the, the, the sets you would have had would have been the agency, right? That's the only set we had in Ari's yeah. bedroom. And everything mm-hmm. else was a location. Uh-huh. So we were out all the time. So, I mean, that was that was how it was explained to me by Paul Wagner that the reason it cost us to go out was because we had to get the trucks and get everything on. We didn't have that all the time. We just did it for those two days. We were... Mm-hmm ready to be on stage so with a show that's out all the time which so many of the shows now shoot all over the place and on location like they're so hybrid they're not just building sets anymore they want more realism they're so crazy they shoot out and they go to vancouver that's how crazy they are (laughs) (laughs) um what about some stuff like paris i mean we talked to tom a little bit about that too creating paris out of the universal uh back lot for you, Jill. It was wonderful. I mean, those are the kind of experiences that really, you know, make you, you're in show business land. You can take some place in the back lot in Burbank and make it look like Paris. You get things from prop houses, you do research, and it's exhilarating. It's really fun. And unfortunately, because it's television shows, you don't even get to see, like, half the stuff we do. Mm-hmm. Like, we make a world, and you see a couple of walls. It's interesting, too, because you just said research, and now I'm sure you can just Google Paris thing and find it on eBay, right? But I'm sure back then, finding things from Paris or to create this world was not as easy. What was it like for you then? We had wonderful books. We had shell loaves of books. That was so much fun, going to the bookstore to buy your research books. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Books. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up Paris, and I and you know us not being able to go there was was disappointing to us because we had budgeted out and different things. Jeff Melman was going to be the director of Paris, and yet what we would have done, we would have been at the Louvre, we would have had to do one crawl, we would have hardly done anything. We would not have been able to do the the, the extensive. Um, uh, you know, uh, coverage that we got by being on the back lot. And, uh, you know, it, it came up uh, recently because we just, uh, last week we talked about uh, San Francisco with um, Christina Lease and the time we went up there and we're doing all that. And, and, and in fact, the reason we're talking today is because of how beautiful the color was on that set. 
and uh, the purple that you put in was so San Francisco. Um, that was so beautiful. Yeah, it was a beautiful set. Yeah, that really fun. was. Yeah, and she was such a kooky character. She got to have like you know really interesting stuff. Yeah, the fish, the fish tank was was really was really quite. Yeah, great. well, we were talking about the fish tank last week because that was a part of the storyline, but that was something that you guys, you know, were mindful of. So, were there times in scripts where you were like, "Well, we need to add this," or Chuck? Were there ever times in scripts where you yeah. wrote in the the fish tank or anything like that, or were you are you that detailed on some of this? Well, let's hope so. <laughs> Peter, Peter, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, if it was, if it was one thing about uh, 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 my scripts, and so therefore most of the nine hundred two and zero scripts is I didn't want to do the director's job, so I didn't. Very rarely did I go close up here. The camera pulls back, then we start tracking. Right. You know, I would do some of that because you sometimes have to, but pretty much it was just you know, what would be needed. And of course, if uh, if a coffee cup mattered in the scene, then of course I'm going to mention the coffee cup. With but the, otherwise, yeah. no, I let I let uh, the departments come up with the ideas of, of what the things would look like because, uh, you know, we just... Now, maybe if we only did 12 of them or eight of them, I would have been really obnoxious and been in, in every decision. But when you do 32, something's got to give. And that's... You gotta trust your people. So... You have talented people around right. you, and they can do. And that, and that was also Aaron's philosophy: get good people around you. And mm. and and with Aaron, good meant loyal. With me, good meant talented. Drew, what were you going to say? Um, you can cut, that, you can cut was, that line out, Pete. Sometimes <laughs> very specific. Like Dylan goes into the living room and opens the bar. There was no bar in the house, so. There was a um, a filing cabinet. I think it was a cabinet where we kept the money. Yeah, we kept like the boots. And we took the center like set of drawers of like two height and made it a drop down drawer with a hidden liquor cabinet. <clears throat> but that didn't exist before that was written into a script. It was just a, a filing cabinet before that. But I also remember something. There was a scene written where Donna was going out of her bedroom through some sliding glass door. And she didn't have a sliding glass door. And I remember Paul Wagner going, saying, she's not getting one. I mean, I think, the, or the director wanted it. It wasn't written. The director wanted something that wasn't written in. And he was like, he's a visiting director. This is our show. We're on it all the time. We know what's going on. We're not changing it for one director. And I, I, I like that. I appreciated that kind of, rather than, you know, because then on other shows, it would be like every director got to do whatever they wanted. So there was the continuity was kind well, of... Well, no, they had to come in and conform, that's for sure. And I'm sure even much more after I left. But the the, the, the converse of that is we, we some really terrific directors wanted to do 90210 and Paul was, yeah, let's bring back Richard Lang. You know, I mean, okay, you know, not no offense to Richard. No, no knock on Richard, right? Yeah, but uh, you know, Michael Engler and um, uh, just a lot of really guys who uh, um, um, Rick Gunther's good friend, um, uh, uh, the, the one who was um, whose father was on Eight Is Enough. Hmm. I'm sorry, having senior moments here. I don't know who you're talking about? I just don't the know one who directed, who went on to be a frontline HBO director. And uh, and of course, and I wrote for White Shadow, so I had met him when because he was an actor in White Shadow, 
And it was like he just, uh, you know, he would have been great and he would have come back. But, but you know, Paul had the kind of people he liked, he wanted to work with. And, and again, I would just bring in a few. And, and the one that I, I uh, forced him to use, because uh, he didn't really want to, was David Semmel. Mm. Uh, he didn't really want our associate producer to start directing. Didn't like let's, that idea. Let's talk about Paul Wagner here. We don't. We haven't really talked about him enough on the show. I feel we probably could do a whole Paul Wagner episode. I don't know, but you know what? You could do a year's worth of Paul Wagner episodes. Quite yeah. frankly, on this TV oh, show, yeah, he was a great yeah. guy. Mm -hmm. He was a really great guy. So, talk to me about some of the things that you know. We that was great. What you just told us about Paul, you know, with directors and whatnot. Were there other things like that that you would go to for for um with with Paul, either of you, or even you, Chuck? He well, I'd go, with him. I'd go to him to, uh, at the end of the day, to drink, uh, actually, to, to kind of decompress. Uh, that was what he and I would, with Betty standing guard and a few other people would come in. Not many, but, you know, we would just sit there and go, oh, my God. Weatherall would walk in on those, of course, because he, you know, an open bar and man never missed one. But, you know, there we would be. And, um, and Paul and I, you know, we... Paul, the one thing he would do to me, I think in cast, when at casting, Paul loved casting. And I couldn't almost wait for casting to be over. And so, but, you know, but I would be friendly to the actors and talk to them and, and do whatever he would be doing. But we'd sit on opposite sides of the room and we, and sometimes when performances would just be so wrong, we would look at each other like, can you believe this? And, and not be able to say anything. So we had that. But he also would look at me and go, because I, you know, then, uh, you know, it was either going to be me sneaking cigarettes or chewing gum a mile a minute. So, you know, I chew a lot of gum and he thought it was awful to chew gum during a cat for oh. to, while an actor is performing to chew gum. So that oh was my, God, that's that was my rule with him, you know. But you did break that rule. Yes. He would sometimes be having meetings and stuff and be like, I don't want you to come in because you get too emotional. Like, I want, you know, I want you to stay out and just I'll take care of it because <laughs> I, you know, it's not what well, 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 emotional about something that they're changing on the set or something like that. Is that what yeah, you would get right, emotional? Exactly. Yeah, was there a moment that you got emotional about something that they, that they wanted to change that you did? No, it's more, more like they want you to do this and they want it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Oh, I you see. Know, or and they wanted tomorrow at eight o'clock, you know, six o'clock in the morning. Like, oh my god, oh, that kind of. We're talking thing. about season six through ten, right? Our scripts, you know, I mean, that was the one thing uh, that I was most proud of, and it's what I, I, my, what I thought my main responsibility was 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 to not make scripts our problem. So. You guy, when 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 Jill and Drew walked in the day that a script was supposed to start prepping on the next episode, it was on their desk. They never had to do like television today. Yeah. I remember somebody telling me, I think it was on the show. Uh, it was one of Glenn Gordon Karen's shows. I think it was Bull or, or one of the other ones. And 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 the director came in. That Peter Werner was a director, and, and Peter goes in there, and the thing said his schedule for the day was to be turned on TBD, TBD, all the way down, all six points. And the next day was the same thing. I mean, mm. what, you know, this is what I was saying. I mean, on the last couple of years on the shows I've worked on, they're, they're, the creators are the showrunners. 
There's not a producer like Paul Wagner, who's a showrunner, and a creative like Chuck. You now mm. have Chuck running the show. Well, Which I did you, run the show, but I wasn't the creator, Darren Starwood. She's saying that you were Chuck. When, and- you were, when, when Darren Starr left, you were, you were what I consider the creator, the god. You were the one where the ideas flowed from, and Paul ran the show. She's saying now it's one person. Well, when, I, when I say, when I, you know, people don't know the term showrunner, and I'm a way out of the business. So when I tell people what I did, I say I was the executive producer and head writer because right. I, had, I had the two functions. But I didn't have to do it the way that Paul had to do it. Right. You know, I had to, I just had to keep within the parameters that I didn't do. We're going to have a, I remember once, one, one show I was doing in the 80s when, when budgets were real, network budgets were really not expansive. And, and the guy wrote like basically season four of a cop show was all going to be a helicopter chase over Los Angeles at night. It was like, no, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that, you know, because, you know, you can't put something in that can't be done. Right. And so I think I, I really learned a lot. Now they do. Now they put things in that can't be done and you have to do it. And well, I've also do- been told that people yeah. put things in that can't be done to use them as negotiating tools. Maybe that was more, you know, the first decade of the 21st century. But, you know, people did that, too. You know, I really learned a lot from Duke Vincent. And Duke was, you know, just get it done, get it done, get it done. You know, be responsible. It's somebody's money. And um, and uh, and that's how we, we kind of functioned and and have a good time. You know, that was. Having I mean, a good time was a paramount thing. And Paul loved to have. And Paul loved to have a good time. He when loved we were, parties. He loved that. You know. When we were, Go ahead. when we were building the boat for Luke, after we came back from Hawaii, and he lives on a boat. Um, at that point, we had had a new designer, and it was um, Bill Matthews, and um, he studied the boat really carefully. And the windows on the boat were round or oval. And so he insisted that I get oval windows for the boat. And they're, they have to be custom. They're not regular. They have different ones. They have like rounded rectangle ones, but they're not oval. And we were sitting in a meeting and Tom, Bill wasn't there because Paul actually didn't have him there. It was Duke and Paul and I. And Duke was like, I don't have custom windows on my yacht. You're not getting custom windows on this boat. And tell him if he has to have custom windows, he can't be the designer. And Paul was like, would you please go tell him that? I think we can't use those windows. And we didn't. <laughs> the one thing that, that Paul and I would, uh, that, that he always wanted me to give the other answer than I gave. He would come <laughs> up to me. Um, we said, you know, this episode's going to run long. And so we should start cutting now. And I would go, you know, those estimates, they're never right. Why don't we? Oh, I, and I would go, are we over budget? No, well, then shoot it. <laughs> That's not what he wanted to hear because they wanted to save. After a while with the television show, you want to save as the management. So the business I back then in the network business wanted to save as much as they possibly could. Right. And, and this was a way to do it. You're going to cut. We're not going to shoot that much. Well, I wanted, I always wanted the option that if something did in play that I didn't have and, and wasn't 
germane, I didn't have to use it. Mm -hmm. So more material allowed that to be. One of the fun things is watching, especially I think Jason would take us take a scene or a line and he'd just make it his by how he said it or how he moved. And, you know, something I might read and think that sounds like weird. They would just make come alive. They would yeah. just, you know, it was a really good, the writers and the actors really, you know, worked well making that show. Shannon, Shannon had that skill too. Just made yeah. everything. I mean, I didn't think they all did. I remember. Drew, what about you with Paul? Do you have any interesting Paul stories for us? You know, the, when I sit and I think about Paul these days, besides, um, I was going to give the answer that, um, and Jill, I'm sorry, I've got to say this. Uh, there, We were in a meeting one time, and Paul used to like to try to say things to put to like push Jill's buttons. <laughs> and so he would say, oh, yeah, we're going to, well, you're going to have to do that and take all the money away. And Jill would say, oh, no fucking way. And I remember we were talking about something in a meeting and it was whatever it was, was just fine. And Paul didn't get the answer. He didn't get the no fucking way response. And he goes, what are you telling me? You're not going to give me a no fucking way? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, because, because, you know, Paul had a great sense of humor and he liked to always great try sense to, of humor. to get people. And so like in production meetings, it was awesome to be in a production meeting with Paul because he would sit there and look at people across the room and he would make eye contact with you and he would do things with his eyes or roll his mouth, trying to get you to laugh, to bust out and interrupt the meeting. And I can remember I was sitting next to Victor and he was sitting in a chair and he was kind of leaning back in the chair. Like with the, the front. Jill knows exactly this. The front legs are off the floor. And he's just kind of like rocking in the chair a little bit. And it was an old chair and it had like these metal braces on the side and they snapped. And so all of a sudden he went from the table was here to the table was just here. And all you could see was like his hair. And he had this really short kind of bristly hair. And that's what killed Paul. And Paul was right across from him. And we had to stop. Paul couldn't stop laughing because that sight of Tom sitting there, because he always looked at Tom's hair. And whenever he looked at Tom's hair, like Tom had, had a haircut or something, he always laughed. He, he, Paul gave him a Floby for Christmas one year. And so it was always a joke between Tom and Paul about Tom's hair. Mm. And so there's Tom sitting there with his hair sticking up above the table. And I think somewhere I still have that little piece from the chair. <laughs> I think I have it in a box. When I find it one day, I'm going to get it engraved. I'm going to send it to Victor. Because yeah, okay. it's from his chair in the, in the production meeting. Well, I can't tell you. I can't tell you how relieved I was when we when we switched line producers and my my close uh, close friend Jeffrey White was no longer the line producer, the one who was worked with propaganda. And Paul walks through the door. I only knew one other line producer that was, and it was Paul because I on my second series tv series called jessica novak a forgotten show um on cbs um that that didn't pan out and was done pretty quickly paul and i were the two smokers on the staff and this was when everybody went to see dailies at the same time when i mean everybody i mean the stu everybody from the studio Everybody from the show, it would just stop. The hour would stop and you would go to watch dailies. They'd be available. You go into the daily room, you know, different departments would be there in this. And the two guys who were um, 
was the was the show the creator showrunner and the executive the non-writing executive producer would sit in the front and they'd see a scene and the scene was a mess scene you know like a c plus scene a b minus scene wasn't that real written wasn't that interesting shot and they'd look at each other and go that's emmy caliber and paul be in the back we would just be cracking up the whole time what are these guys thinking you know this is <laughs> it really wasn't emmy caliber unfortunately for all of us um here's a fun set that you guys got to put together this um the the alien uh place that claire <laughs> and, and yeah and david uh go to you remember putting that together drew uh, uh you know what i remember the most about that mm. is that there was a um I can't remember who it was. We got to play Santa Claus. Remember, there's there's a Santa Claus, and in, in this same episode, uh, you know, it may not be because I, I I remember doing like you know desert scenes. It must not. Have oh, been that might be when when he went when Steve went to New Mexico. Oh, right. uh, yes. yeah, yeah. It's I've got those. I've got like there's a lot of those kind of things that are all completely crossed over because they're very similar, <laughs> like the old Western you know flashback thing, which. I've got a sign up there. It's black and white that says J. Drew Kinney, pharmacist from nice. that old West Town that's still sitting up on my wall. I love um, that. So, like, individual things, like, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you. What about you, Jill? Do, this do you was remember? in David's apartment. When David oh, was, apartment. That was in David's apartment. That's amazing. It's wallpaper, and that's just an old mirror frame. Mm-hmm. Ah. Put it together. Uh, what about what about the uh, the alien setting up the alien? That was really fun, and again, I mean, we just did a whole bunch of research. And um, Lenny Marvin's a prop house that has so much of that stuff, and we just transported it. It was really a location. We went out to the desert, and we just covered the walls with newspaper articles. I don't know if we made any ourselves, Drew. I mean, must have. Um, we, I'm sure we probably did. We had yeah, to. Have. It, was, it was really fun. And, you know, normally these were the kind of things. We brought everything out there and had to do it and decorate it in a day. Then they come out and shoot it the next day, and we would take it down the next day. Everything mm. three days. That was it. Everything three days. Yeah. My first job in Hollywood, by the way, Joe, you don't probably wouldn't know this. My first paying job, besides being a, a no, it was even before then. My first paying job was three days as a set deck mm. on a uh, on a movie of the week with Betty Davis and Faye Dunaway. Oh, how cool! Oh, nice. was, uh, yeah. And it was, I'm walking down the beach at 6.15 in the morning with a guy I've never met before. And I look at him and, and, and he looks at me and he goes, um, Chuck Rosen. And I go, how do you know my name? He says, no, I'm Charles Rosen. I said, I'm Charles Rosen. And it was, you know, the art director, Charles Rosen. He went on to do a lot of features. and things so like that. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so we, I never saw him after that. But I must have gotten about six to seven messages from him and vice versa. <laughs> Say hi to the other Charles Rosen for me, you know. Um, Charles brought up something before about switching casts from uh, Brenda to Valerie and maybe talking about changing their room, changing uh, the, the appearance of that from Brenda to Valerie. Do you remember the shift there of, the, of Brent, Shannon leaving and then Tiffany coming in, what you wanted to do for that? I'm trying to remember. It wasn't there was the bad girl that came in with the long hair, Vanessa. That's Vanessa Marcellus later on. Uh, later Tiffany, on. this is Tiffany. We're talking when Tiffany Thiessen came in um, right. in season five. She smokes pot up in the uh, in 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 the well, what would have been Brenda's room? 
right? Yeah, so we had to fumigate it, you know, because <laughs> we couldn't stand it. And the police were always out there. Are they smoking pot on those sets? Not would, true, the, would, a casting, not... would a casting change like that affect you guys in any way, I guess is the question. Um, only in the sense that if they got a room or something, yeah, we'd have to redecorate it. I can honestly say I don't remember so much when Tiffany came in as much as I remember when she and Steve became a couple. And we mm -hmm. had to transform... The room for a baby. Make oh, a baby Janet, room. you mean Janet? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, Janet right. and Steve yeah, got married. Janet and everybody makes stuff. That's right. Yeah, Janet and Lindsay. And right. Yeah. See, after yeah. season five, it nothing. After, excuse me. After the season six episode with uh, Dylan on the motorcycle and the, uh -huh. and the wedding, nothing resonates. You can't know what actor did it, what this is. All these other people, very specific at this and this thing. I'm not saying there's a qualitative difference. Tiffany, go ahead. Uh, Tiffany is the sweetest, nicest person I remember. Every person I knew in the world had a kid asked when they were in LA if they could come to the set. And I brought my cousin's kid and Tiffany, he was in love with Tiffany and she was so nice to him. She like went over and talked and not that everybody wasn't, everybody was always really nice, but Tiffany was especially sweet and just made oh, yeah. people comfortable. Um, I wanted, I do want to ask you about a couple later season things, building this office that they all work in this, the beat that this was a big monumental shift for, for 90210, we lose Larry, we lose Chuck's gone, the cast is changing. You know, there's a lot of major changes happening. And then somebody who I will not come on the show to talk about how they came up with the idea for them to run a newspaper, but you guys have to build a newspaper, right? The newspaper office. Do you remember doing that, Drew? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, was, it was fun. It was nice. Yeah. We, we, found, a, um, we found the, uh, the exterior building to do establishing shots first. And then we based everything on that building. It was a building on um, Hollywood Boulevard. I remember that, yeah. <clears throat> and um, yeah, that that's it was actually a lot of fun because of how it all came apart. Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, little individual things moved out of the way. It was really easy to sort of get in and out of and shoot from any angle you wanted to. That was a, that was a dream to build. And that means those days people would move walls. And nowadays they use smaller cameras and they don't move walls. <laughs> Hmm. Um, I was going to ask about a uh, uh, well. What about the college? That must have been a big undertaking for all of you. It was great, and it was really fun going up to Occidental. I remember the first time I went to art school. So the first time we walked into the art classroom, the smell of oil paint and everything was just really wonderful. <laughs> and it was just it was fun being on a college campus. I mean, mm -hmm. so yeah. was, now Chuck has talked about you know maybe at times. Occidental not being thrilled with nine, you know, and maybe the school, the students not being thrilled with them being there. Did you guys feel that at all when you're doing what you're doing? I don't remember so much. I feel like more like the neighbors at some point, because when we started filming there, people would park around the neighborhood. So the neighborhood people got a little more annoyed. And, you know, we did some scenes in the neighborhood too, in houses that were supposed to be fraternities. And mm -hmm. that can be annoying for people when they can't park in their own neighborhood. But I don't really remember having run-ins with anybody there. At the college, you you built this very cool room. You know the uh, the radio station. That's early on. Oh yeah. Do you remember putting that together, Joe? Some of that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I mean, again, like we did research is to looking into what college radio stations look like and, you know, try to make it as realistic as possible and have things that he could actually push and buttons would light up and it would seal, seem real. Well, I did college radio at University of Wisconsin and I did it with National Public Radio at Boston University. And not, neither of those rooms that you would do things in looked as good as the one that uh, you guys did. California University. Nothing looked as cool as that. that I mean, that's awesome. I mean, we're showing a picture for those listening. I mean, it's it's just like there's all the rock pictures. The, there's the CU logo, which we finally have on a T-shirt. The color to <laughs> that rich red. You know, I like. But it. did you did, did you notice, Peter? There's a different logo for the radio station. There is. Yes, I did it's, notice. That. It's the plucked condor <laughs> holding up holding up the little sign over its junk. Yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. I did catch that. The Jostens people did that for us. As a matter of fact, I think you know we were trying to figure out what to do, and I, I'm sure you were there, Jill. We used to sit in our offices all the time, you know, shooting the breeze, talking about things, and we were all joking about it, and thought that that would be a really funny thing to do for the radio station because it would be that alternative kind of like you know, give it to the mm -hmm. man kind of attitude. So let's take the logo and let's pull all the feathers out of them, you know. Jill, this is a later year thing, but you told me this story, I think, when I visited you, that when you built the, um, the Donna store, Donna eventually has a has a wardrobe store, that, that it didn't, it didn't, how did it go? Bill Matthews had beautiful taste, but they were very masculine. And so he was using Ralph Lauren type suede paints and browns and grays, and it just had a more of a feel of a... Uh, of a shop today, actually, very kind of more, I think, in colder and masculine. And Tori walked in and went, uh-uh, this is not my taste. I mean, it would just be more girly. It would be more frilly. And so it wasn't even the clothing. It was just the feel. And so, yeah, so he had to go change colors and we had to go put, like, cloths on tables and just things to soften and make it look more girly. And okay. I Can thought... I Go on. I'm sorry. Keep going. Jim. I thought those were question. really great, but I totally understood where Tor where Tori was coming from, and the Donna character as well. Of I mean, course, it wasn't just Tori. It was right. It's, she's got to be at this get, point did, thinking about it. Yeah. Did he get really frustrated? I mean, here's the guy comes in like, "What am I doing this for?" Because you know, it, it was a lot of uh, uh, um, you know job opportunities there in the late '90s. I mean, was his was he just complaining? What did I get into or, or not so much? No, no, no. I think it was more like, I mean, with all this stuff, you show people samples and colors of what you're planning to do. But mm -hmm. so many people can't visualize until they see it. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like Tom was, I mean, sorry, Bill was off doing stuff in a vacuum. I mean, he had people saying, you know, fine, do this. And then when it was all put together, like I said, it wasn't that it didn't look good. It was just not the right feel. And he went with the flow. I mean, I think we all pretty much have to learn to, mm -hmm. you know. True. Did you ever have an experience cool. like that where you guys built something and then it was, you know, something simple? I mean, I'm sure you were a part of that scenario, but uh, was, there, was there anything like that that you can remember? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I can't give you any specific thing because, I mean, that kind of stuff happened a lot. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, In you know, season six for 10. Right. Yeah, six oh, for 10. Yeah. Couldn't tell you. Um, I mean, sometimes, I mean, it's, it's the, the strange things stick into my head. Like a director came in one time and because of the action, we had to flip the Walsh door so that it opened in the other direction. 
It was only for one episode. And I complained about it because of continuity. And Paul Wagner was the one in the end who told me just to shut up and change the door to the other way. <laughs> and then when the episode was over with, I said, what are we going to do? And he said, we'll just change it back. <laughs> and then we did. And nobody ever said a word. I'm mean, like, you know, this was before the sort of the blow up of the Internet. I mean, today it would probably be on Twitter. You know, it'd be of course. A, Drew Kenny flips out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, there'd be a video of somebody in a meeting of me going, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, well, we have a bunch of holiday stuff coming up. I should ask you guys about that. And we've talked about that here. Uh, I know finding pumpkins and, and, and whatnot or trees, Christmas trees, trees and all that stuff. Yeah. What is, what is that process like, Jill? Well, I mean, you know, I think one of the first things I ever had to do was a Christmas commercial. I mean, it's just nuts. You're you're given advance warning that you're going to have to find these things. And there's places that you go to to help you. But there's always that panic feeling because everybody is doing the same thing on every show mm -hmm. at the same time. So you, guys, you do make this. You make Ray Pruitt's uh, Christmas tree place. We've talked about that. And then, of course, That's it was the, true. He did the graphics. <laughs> you remember making this? Oh, oh yeah, job. absolutely. Yes. We, we're putting it on a T-shirt today. So that's pretty cool. I mean, oh, those, were really, those were really fun sets. I mean, you're outdoors, mm -hmm. you know, you're creating environments. Again, you're creating environments that you go to, but you don't normally get a chance to create and you have a team. It's not like you're by your, you know, so it's, it's, it's really fun. And it's, you know, you start with an empty place and when you're done, it's a beautiful place or a cool mm -hmm. place or a mess, whatever, but you've made something from nothing. Yep. Jill, Mitch, so you did Entourage. Tell, tell them what some of the other shows you've been involved with, uh, in the last, uh, in the 21st century? What are your 20 Well, directly after 90210, I did um, a show with Spelling, and I, I can't even remember the name anymore. Well, I mean, I mean, from Entourage on, the ones oh, that... Well, I have to leave, I can't leave out what I like about you, because my first other real show was with Jenny, which mm -hmm. was a total coincidence. And then Luke came on it, and Jason came on it. And I remember when Luke came on it, he didn't know anybody but me, and he was like hanging on to me, like kind of like, you know, what are these people? Oops. Camera shows, live shooting, and that was actually fun. And yeah. um, and then I did Family Affair, and that was also with Tim Curry again. That was one of those shows that we all were on a hiatus, and we came back, and we were like, "Oh, you're canceled." We were, "What happened?" Oh, another show became available, and so CW bought that and canceled you, and it was over. And so then I went to Entourage, and after Entourage, I did Happy Endings, which mm. is a really, really fun show, too. And I'm really sorry that didn't get to go more than three years. That's and the one about the Korean massage parlor? Is that? I don't know if it's Korean, but there is a massage parlor, right? Yeah. This is yeah. with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, okay. So no, I was making a happy joke. Endings was, happy Endings is with one of the Wyans. And um, oh. it's about um, a fam a couple that get married and divorce. Like, she she runs away at the wedding, the girl. I can't oh, I see. Adam Pally's in it. Um, it's a bunch of different people. Are you did Mad Men, right? Nope. I, <laughs> nope, I did Brooklyn Nine-Nine was my last show. Oh, well, that's funny. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, one more thing: the, the carnival. You were talking about fun, uh, fun events and things of that nature. And we've talked to Tom about that, right? We covered Mr. Walsh goes to Washington, but tell me about putting that that carnival together on your end for for your both perspectives. Do you remember that, Drew? Yeah, that 
that that was one of the biggest outdoor things that we did i think okay. um i mean it was you know <clears throat> it was in uh near the wrigley estate if i'm not mistaken uh was that out in yeah, it was yeah. up in uh, off Malibu Canyon. That Soka College. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Yes, because it's a bunch of Japanese girls riding bicycles. Right. And that's that. That's one thing I remember about it because it's like all it's all these girls from Japan who come to go to school there. Right. Um, it was a. They were a place that was kind of <laughs> you know isolated that had the kind of right pastoral hills and had some big open fields that we could use that were not sort of divorced from all the campus buildings so you can still see something from certain angles so we built a basically a you know i would say probably a two-thirds carnival uh real carnies so yeah yeah the rides and stuff yeah yeah and you know i come to think of it um when we were on the scout like we we you know we we all take our tape measures and tom and i would always like you know one of us would take one i go here take the take the dumb end of the tape measure and go stand over there and he'd lost his tape measure he couldn't find it and he was looking at his car he's looking all over the office he didn't know where he lost it when we went back out for the tech scout they had mowed this field it was like three feet tall in grass and we were there measuring and there was little pieces of orange plastic from his tape measure <laughs> all over the place where he well, we found it you left it here <laughs> That's great. Well, from I mean, a technical standpoint, you know, what was really great is when they make us let us do a two hour, whether it was um, mm -hmm. commencement or Mr. Walsh, I think Palm Springs, too, had had that, too. You you combine, even though I think that was only 90 minutes. If you combine, uh, no, I guess it was a two hour, too. You, you know, you get to combine license fees. So there's much more money to play with. Mm. And that's what I think really came beautifully to fruition in. Uh, in um, the, the cliff, uh, Mr. Walsh goes to Washington oh. with the carnival. The carnival was was just bigger than anything we had we had done. And uh, you know, one one of my real prides. I have two things as an adult that I'm really proud of. One is is that I went through four years at the University of California Berkeley and didn't take a psych class. And the <laughs> other is that five <laughs> years of television and we were um, we were under budget for five seasons. And so even with these big expansive things at the end. We, we did really well. Um, Pete wants to know how we did so well. And he kept at, And yesterday he asked me, you know, what about getting someone from the Teamsters to come on? And I went, no, 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 we're not doing that. We are not doing that for, for I don't know how long the statue of limitations allows, but we're not touching it. So. Well, the cars were very cool. The, the 90210, the Dylan's car and the and the Mustang, oh, yeah. they're very cool cars. And it would be cool to hear the stories. We had a great, them. we had great Teamsters. They were very, <laughs> they were very cooperative. The best group of Teamsters I ever worked with was the 90210 crew mm. by far. Yeah. And well, I know we did all that stuff for Luke, the tunnel. That was really fun doing that on his <laughs> like last was it his last episode or what well the last episode is with with the uh, with uh tony um rebecca gayhart where the, she oh, gets right. murdered in in the rain and all that was a very that must have been very you know a tough time when luke left the show for all you guys he'd been there forever and then he was leaving you you guys were both there for that and i've heard so many people say that he was you you've said it before too drew like he was close with all of the the crew and whatnot do you remember that at all, Jill? Yeah, no, it was when, every, when anybody left, it was always 
hard. And say, when Tom left, I mean, Tom left, that was really hard too. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, it's like, it was like a family. That show, I know everybody says that about all shows and I don't think that's true about all shows, but that show really was, particularly because it started off without being a union show and it was kind of craziness. I mean, the first season we were all going out karaokeing with the cast and getting crazy and people were going back and having sex in the rooms on the sets and it was just nuts. Um, and you're talking about the crew. the crew the crew the was crew was doing yeah, no, the, act- the actors would come and sing karaoke but they weren't going back and <laughs> afterwards <laughs> but no i mean it was her young For all she knows but I'm- right i was thinking that i'm sure that that's i happening. don't know much about the i actually to be perfectly honest set deck we have so little to do with the actors we get there with their rehearsing with the um the standards and then mm-hmm. the actors come in and that's when we leave so, I mean, yeah. literally, if, if these actors hadn't all directed, I probably mm-hmm. would not have known them as well. But they exactly. were, I mean, but also the first season, they were kids. I mean, Tori and David were 18. I mean, you know, they were little kids. Yeah. This has been great, guys. I mean, we could talk all day about all of this stuff, but and we did. We did. I was going to say, we but we're, we're, we're good. Uh- Tori's waist was literally this big. Mm-hmm. I could touch my fingers around her waist. Yeah. <laughs> Size zero. Yeah. Well, we talk about it all the time here, guys. We look at some of the sets and some of the work that you guys did, and we're just like, I, it's so great. I mean, Chuck, you've talked like the last three or four things that we've covered in a row where you were talking about Jill and you know how she decorated a set and really sold that scene, how it really helped what you wrote and all that stuff. We were talking about San Francisco more recently, but we've been t- talking about that a lot. So um, really great work by both of you. I mean, it's one of the things that I think makes the shows hold up so well. Would you agree, Chuck? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I have to honestly say, I really don't. Yeah. I feel like it matters, but what makes a show is the writing and the acting. And you know, I've on, I've been on shows where you know the decoration and the buildings have been beautiful, and the show gets canceled, and it's not has nothing to do with that. Well, you know, and unfortunately, you guys know this. When they used to say in television, nobody turns on the show for the sets, and and yet and yet, um, I wrote for Saint Elsewhere back in the day, and Saint Elsewhere did not get canceled after season one, even though our ratings were really, really low because they built the hospital practical and, you know, instant, and they had a working elevator and it was, it was MTM, the company that did St. Elsewhere. Grant Tinker becomes head of NBC and the MTM people went in there and said, you can't cancel us. We haven't paid back for the set yet. Give us one more season and then we can pay for the set. And then, of course, the show, they had they made some great choice. I wasn't there at that point, but made some great choices. And it it, it, it lives as a, as one of the greats of the shows in the 80s. Probably better, in my opinion, much better than Hill Street Blues. Mm. Absolutely. Well, this is great, guys. It's awesome having you both here. Come back again when we cover more specific things, okay? Um, and we can dive into how it all happened. But nice to meet you, everybody. Happy holiday. Great to see you both. Always. And to, to all of our, you know, listeners, our regular listeners and viewers, a very happy Thanksgiving to all of you. We'll be back with more shows uh, soon. I don't know what those shows will be yet. We're still figuring all that out. But uh, edit, edit, edit. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but thank you so much for this, uh, for following us, and much gratitude to all of you for following us. And um, a very happy Thanksgiving, Chuck. Anything you want to say to the people listening about Thanksgiving and what's coming up this week? Well, we we actually celebrate uh, Thanksgiving in our house. And since we've lived in Venice, uh, since uh, we have Wednesday night Thanksgivings with just small family. So because of the in-law thing going to the other place. So we we have a lot of fun. So I smell all the great smells of Thanksgiving now. I'm down, you know, waffing down here. So um, it's just a real nice time of year. It used to be in Los Angeles. It meant it was getting cold and rainy. That doesn't happen anymore. But it's still a really wonderful holiday. And enjoy it all uh, with your family and loved ones. All right. We will see you all next week. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, See you guys next week.